Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about living as a sojourner on earth. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you about something that you may not know about. That is that our church has an app. On the app, you can easily access creekside.me, our central hub. You can see the upcoming events. You can read blog posts, look at pictures, a lot of stuff. But most importantly to you who listen to these sermons, you can easily access all of our sermons. So if you want a quick and easy way to get this content, just download our app. You can search on the Google Play Store or the iOS App Store, Creekside Bible Church, and you'll find it. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon helps you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So, yeah, we're starting a new series today, and um, it's a series that I think is really important here in this spot because I feel, maybe you don't feel this way, but I feel like it's it's more and more difficult to navigate culture. And especially as a Christian, if you're not a Christian, then you don't really feel a need to navigate culture because you just embrace culture and live in culture. And even if you just think about, about politics, right? Like uh, if you're not a Christian, then, then you, you just kind of pick a side and, and you think everybody on your side's right and you argue with the other side. Uh, but as a Christian, like even the outside, people outside of Christianity, they put this weird kind of pressure on us. Like, like well, where are you guys at on these issues? You know, like, what are you saying about these issues? And, and it comes from both sides. Like you have people on the right and the left saying, well, how dare you not step up to the plate about this? And people on the other side saying, how dare you not step up and, and, and take care of this? And, and that makes it really difficult, right? Like, like well, how do, what do I do? How do I... How do I handle this? What do I, what do I think? What am I supposed to think? What am I supposed to do to help? Am I supposed to do anything? Should I just become a hermit and, and go live in the woods and not have to deal with these people anymore? Is that what it's like? And this series I think is, hopefully this is the goal, going to help us think about at least how, how we navigate as Christians living in the culture that we, that we live in. Um, and, and as you heard in the video, this, this series is, is about living as a, a sojourner, a foreigner. And we're going to talk about this a lot today and, and as we move on. But uh, it's a hard thing to do. And I don't have a ton of experience with living uh, or being an outsider. I was born and raised just about 25 minutes up the road. I haven't gone too far away. But I did spend two months uh, after my junior year of college. In the summer, I spent two months living in... Pocatello, Idaho, which is, you don't even know this, but it's actually the second largest city in Idaho, but you only know that there's one city in Idaho. And so uh, Pocatello is in the southeast corner of Idaho. Uh, If you don't live in Pocatello, then you've never gone there before. It's not very far away from Utah or Wyoming. I don't, you didn't need any of that information for the story, but now you know where Pocatello is. And and I went down there and, and, and why I was there was to work with a pastor who was part of a, uh, this mission organization that, that does work here in rural communities. And this pastor, his name was Ken Young, uh, he would, would travel on Sundays to lead church services uh, in, in more rural parts of Idaho. And so you go from Pocatello, which nobody knows about, into these other places uh, 
we would go to Soda Springs. I've told you this before, maybe, which is most famous because it's uh, it's most famous because it was part of the Oregon Trail. But it's probably more famous to people in my generation because it was part of the Oregon Trail video game. It's where you decided whether you're going on a raft or you were going to take land. I always picked the raft. Uh, and and so Soda Springs is a town that almost is primarily LDS Mormon. And, and so he would pastor this little church that consisted of of one family there. And then, uh, actually that was late in the day, but in the mornings we would, we would go out, and this is more important to this illustration, we would go into this place called the Arban Valley, which is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. You, you come from Pocatello and you come down off this mountain and, and you can see like, like forever, like a million miles and there's not a single house so it was weird that we were going to do a church service because I'm like there's no people are we gonna do church with the deer or what Uh, and so we would drive out on Sunday mornings and we would go into the middle of the Arban Valley and these people had built this little church building a very very small I mean uh, you could fit I don't know, 10 of them in this, in this gym that we're in right now. Very, very small church building. And, and, then, and then people would show up, about seven or eight people. And these people were all farmers. It's the log, largest uh, non-irrigated farmland in the world. They would come, they, they, were, they were rural, they were farmers, they were so different than me. And, and it was strange because because I, I didn't know how at first they were loving and they were great and I got to know them over time, but I didn't know at first how to interact. It was like the smallest little things, like, like when they started praying for rain. And I was like, as an Oregonian, you know, like we, this is not something you pray for. And it was so important to them. This was a weekly prayer request. Like we have to have rain or we don't have food and we don't have money, you know. But I, every time I'd be like, I'm not sure I can get in on that. There was no amen at the end because I don't pray for rain. I pray that it won't rain, you know, and and just things like that. And then like, uh, this is sad. I shouldn't even tell you this, but, but people would drop animals like dogs on their property all the time. And, and, you know, it's an hour and a half back into town. And so they would just kill them. It's like the first time I heard that, I was like, wow, I've come to a Satanist colony, you know, I mean, but it was just a part of their lives. And, and for two months, I really knew what it was like to be an outsider. I mean, I wasn't in a foreign country, but they, it, they were so rural and I'm a city boy and they were so focused on farming and, you know, I, I don't know how to grow anything. And, and they were, you know, they talked about things that I didn't understand, like well witching. I don't know if you know what that is, but they just took it as science and it sounded all hokey pokey to me. And, and I think that living there was good for me because it, it showed me, uh, reminded me anyway that living in a different culture is difficult and it's helped me I think to interact with people who are new here that come from other places but it also serves as a wonderful illustration for how we ought to view ourselves as Christians people that that live in a culture that's really not not our culture and that's what we're going to talk about this morning uh, in Philippians three eighteen and 19 the apostle Paul this guy who wrote much of the Bible he was one of the world's greatest missionaries he wrote these words I have often told you before and now tell you again even with tears many live as enemies of the cross of Christ their destiny is destruction their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame their mind is set on earthly things and so Paul you know not in the nicest terms but uh, in straightforward terms anyway he kind of lays out 
what it's like for somebody to live as, as not a Christian, as somebody who doesn't believe that Jesus is God who came from heaven to earth to die for people's sins. And he puts it out there in these, these terms that basically say they're destined for destruction. They have no hope after this life. Uh, they, the things that they glory in are actually shameful things. And he also says that, that they are enemies of the cross. I mean, it's not just that they're kind of like, yeah, I don't believe that, but they're actually enemies of the cross and that they only live for the pleasures of this life. And that's so different than how you who are Christians and, and me are supposed to live our lives. I mean, we live with this hope of heaven, right? And, and, and sometimes it seems so far away, but we, we do our best to actually live in light of the fact that we believe that someday we'll live with God in this place called heaven that's going to be great. And, and we do our best to not just live for the things that feel good, right? I mean, if you're a Christian, even you know one that hasn't thought about Jesus or lived for Jesus in a long time, you still have this, this idea that there are certain things that you're supposed to avoid even though you would really like to do them, right? And, and you give up certain things or you do certain things that you would really, you know, some days at least rather not do. I mean, even the smallest thing like coming to church on the first day of the NFL is one of those things, right? Like, hey, we're here, but we're checking ESPN. We just give things up. We don't live we don't live in light of just what we like or what feels good. And, and we, we glory in, in God, we're supposed to anyway. Not all these things that the world tells us we're to glory in our money or our looks or how well we're liked or how well we're received at work and the respect we gain there. And, and it's just so vastly different, right? And it's interesting to me is, is our culture uh, moves away from being Christian-like. And I don't believe, and I say this a lot because I think it's a misnomer that needs to be uh, fixed in Christian circles. I don't believe in Christian nations. I don't really know what that means. But I do believe that a nation can be filled with Christians. And when it is, then the culture is going to be more Christian-like. And that's what most of our American history was. It, it was a nation with its own set of laws and rules, but it was filled with people who held to Christian tenets and values, and thus our culture really reflected some of the ideals of Scripture. Believing in God was seen as normal. Going to church was just something you did. We, we avoided certain things altogether, and, and we did certain things altogether because there were so many Christians around us that it was just a part of life. We still see some of that uh, in the southern parts of our country, but out here in the great Northwest, we don't see much of that at all. We are no longer, whether we wanna pretend or not, a nation that is filled with Christians. Most people check the box Christian when they're filling out surveys or they're going through the census or whatever, but most people are not actively trying to live for Jesus, how we would define a Christian. And so what's happened, the byproduct of that, is that we now live in a culture that is not Christian-like. 
And it's this new thing for us, right? Where we look around at the majority of people around us and we say, wow, they glory in things that I find shameful. Sex being at the top of that list, right? Uh, it's just like, I, we don't think it's right or good, but yet it seems to be the crown jewel of much of our culture. And we look around and we see people who are only living for what they can see and feel right in front of them, but don't believe or, or subscribe to or think about what's going to happen after this life. And all of a sudden we live in a time when it's really strange to live in a, as a Christian. And, and one of the things that's come out of that and this is the thing that you're worried about if you're worried about our shift in culture at all is that Christianity has become, Christians have become the only group that it seems really acceptable to mock and make fun of and to look down upon. I Googled this week, um, I don't even know why I Googled this, but all Christians are, and I left that last word blank. I was preparing for the sermon, but I don't know how I ended up there, but all Christians are with this blank and here's like what was so staggering about it. Like three of the first four responses were hypocrites, problematic, and dumb. Can you imagine the outrage if we filled in that sentence with those words for any other group, subgroup in our culture, right? I mean, whether you picked a race or religion or creed or sexuality or gender and you filled it in with these, with these just broad strokes, like how, how much vitriol you would receive doing just that. And these people have just written these articles and, and not cared at all. What was even more staggering to me is that like two of the first five articles were articles by Christians, I, I presume, two Christians basically saying, you don't have the right, this, this is crazy, right? Like say that to somebody, anybody, right? Like you don't have the right to say like, well, I'm not like other Christians or that's not, that's other Christians, but not me. It was basically telling Christians that if they're Christians, then they need to be thought of just like every other Christian. <laughs> I was like, what? Like that's so backwards. Like you can't say, well, most Christians are like that, but I'm not. Imagine saying that to any other group of people in the world. And so we live in a time, I think, in American history that is at least more similar to what Paul was writing into when he wrote to this church in Philippi than, than at least any other time in American history. But uh, we live in a time that's more similar to that than perhaps when our our forefathers founded this country that we live in. And again, if you're like me, it's, it's like, I, I really feel this way. Like in the last 20 years of my life, it's like I've gone to Southeast Idaho and I don't recognize the culture anymore. And I'm kind of left going like, what, what, what do I do with this? But what's very helpful, and maybe we don't pay attention to this enough, is that the, the Bible was written primarily into cultures where being a Christian was, was downright strange. I mean, as a Christian in, in Rome, you lived counterculturally, or you believed anyway, I should say, counterculturally to almost every, every belief that was held strongly to uh, in that world. And so we have this, I think this 
amazing blueprint written for us in scripture for how we navigate this culture that we have now found ourselves in uh, for whatever reason we have found ourselves in. Now, if you're not a Christian, I know I haven't said much to you this morning or that matters to you, but what, what I think you'll find interesting if you'll listen to these sermons, if you'll stick around and, and, and listen to me preach, if you'll come back next week, if you'll pay attention to what these verses say in the Bible, is that it's not exactly what you'd think. It's, in fact, it's pretty far, I think, from, from how we've responded as Christians. And perhaps one of the reasons you're not a Christian is that you've looked at how Christians are interacting with culture and you're like, wow, that sucks. <laughs> like, why would I be a part of, of that? I mean, like what? Like we see a lot of Christians who just embrace culture, right? Like they just say, well, if that's what we're gonna do now, then that's what we're gonna do now. And, and it seems like lots of groups of Christians around our country, their response to a shifting culture has just been to shift with culture and say, well, if that's normal and it's gonna make people like us, then that's exactly what we're going, that's exactly what we're going to do. I would in fact probably make the argument on certain days where I'm feeling certain ways uh, that much of what we see in a shifting culture is because Christians have worked so hard to look exactly like the culture around them. But on the other side, you have all those right-wingers, right? That are just angry all the time about culture. And what you think of as Christian is Republican and you think of Christian as Republican who seems really angry about the shifting culture and they seem pretty mean about it. I mean, they're the only people, uh, again, like if we said this about any other group, then we'd be in trouble. But this is how you might think of Christians. They're the only people who are sitting around making fun of people that are not like them, telling people that aren't like them that they're wrong, disagreeing with everybody. How come they can't just be more like us? And why do they have to be so angry that we're like we, us, however you finish that sentence? And so if you're not a Christian, I, I just, I hope that you'll be a part of this series and, and uh, you know, ultimately I hope you'll become one, but, but I, I want in this series to help you see that, that maybe we're not doing it right and it's not Christianity that's the problem, it's just us Christians not paying attention to what the Bible says about living in a culture that's different than what we subscribe to and believe in. And so I wanna start with the next verse in Philippians, which is, is really at the heart of what we're doing in this series. Uh, this morning, I just wanna lay this foundation for how we ought to think about ourselves as we live in a culture that's different. And, and, and this is very famous verse. It's something that if you've been around Christianity at all, you've heard before, but it's really important. And this is what Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. So he's laid this foundation and says, said, look, here's all these people who are enemies of the cross. They live in ways that are different than you. They hope in things that are different than you. They glory in things that, that God and, and Christians find shameful, in fact. But our citizenship is in heaven. And you know, if I would have preached this maybe 10, 15 years ago, I just would have said like, you know, we don't even think about citizenship in this country, but now we do, right? I mean, citizenship is, is a very hot, volatile topic. It's politically dividing. It's uh, difficult to, to have a conversation about. It's one of those 
things that, that people are looking all around at Christians saying, how come you're not doing something about this? Where are you at on this issue? And out of that, I think we have a, a greater understanding than maybe we would have had when I was a kid about how important it is to, to be a citizen in a country. I mean, an issue for a lot of people is that they want to be citizens here. And really what we argue about is how they ought to become citizens, right? And, and what it looks like for people to not have citizenship. Lost in it all, perhaps, for those of us who were born here is, is what a great privilege it is to be a citizen. It almost feels political to say that, but I don't mean it in any political way. I just mean it's, it's a wonderful thing to be a citizen of the country in which I live, especially a country that citizenship allows for incredible freedoms, incredible benefits that a lot of other countries and a lot of other people who are trying to come here really want and desire. And so when, when Paul calls us a citizen, that's, that's something that, of heaven. We should just stop and go, that's cool, right? I mean, before we even think about what it looks like, what it means, I mean, that's, that's kind of cool that God would let us be a citizen of his land. I mean, if you don't know anything about God, you, you at least think of heaven as the place he lives, right? And, and God has allowed us to be a citizen of the place that he dwells. God has allowed us to be a citizen of a place that we think of in these glowing incredible terms. I mean, it's a place without sorrow or pain or suffering. And I say this every time I talk about heaven, but my view of heaven as a kid was, was really strongly influenced by the movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven. And I'm sorry if you've gone to church here a, a while at all, because I say this every time, where, where the dog leaves heaven, right? Because, because heaven is, is playing a harp, which I do think would be super cool, but playing a harp and sitting on a cloud, that's boring. Like who, want, who wants that? In fact, this dog doesn't. And so he comes back to earth because earth is more, more fun. And we should not see heaven at all like all dogs go to heaven. We should see heaven like we see earth, but without death or pain or suffering or hurt or heartache or all of those things. There's going to be adventure. There's going to be fun. We're going to be able to, I believe, learn and and. and try new things and develop skills that we haven't had before. It's not like we're going to magically wake up in this boring place where everything, where we're good at everything. I'm so excited, and I know they've said this before, like I'm so excited to play one-on-one -on -one against some of my favorite basketball players, the Christian ones, because we don't believe you get to heaven without being a Christian. But the Christian ones, I'm super excited. It's actually my hope that I'll be able to lead some of my favorite basketball players to Jesus so that they get into heaven, but also so that we can play one-on-one -on -one when we get to heaven. And I'm sure I'll be far less competitive when I get to heaven, but it will be fun. And so God has looked at us and said, look, if, if you give your life to me, if you become a Christian, if you place your faith in Jesus, if you follow me, then I've made you a citizen of the most incredible thing, place that you can imagine. That's pretty cool. And it's important to think about how hard certain people are trying to become citizens of America with all of our problems and our struggles and people every day saying, I'm moving to Canada if, fill in the blank, you know. I mean, all the time people are complaining about our country and yet people want so badly to be citizens here. And we should be thankful to be citizens here. 
And God's looked at us and said, not by your own merit, not by your own goodness, but by my incredible grace, I've allowed you to be citizens of a country that is far better than anything you can ever experience on this earth. That's so cool. But it also comes with, with a whole bunch of other things. And uh, this was Paul's language to this church in Philippi, primarily because the church in Philippi and the people living in Philippi, the Philippians, they knew all about being citizens of a place in which they didn't live. Uh, the, nation, the city of Philippi has a, a long history and, and in fact, it's a well-documented history. They, they did archeological work for decade after decade in the early 1900s on the city of Philippi. And so we actually know a ton uh, about this city. And if you go uh, way back, uh, the city was a part of Greece and over time, uh, it became like the shining jewel of the Greek world. And it was the capital city, but beyond being the capital city, it was also the place where they would show off their art and their uh, architecture and you know how magnificent this, this empire called, called Greece was. And then the Romans took it over and it, it lost some of its prestige, some of its value to that nation. But then... There was this incredible road built. And, and Philippi was uniquely situated 800 miles from Rome, but 10 miles from the sea with lush natural resources, a gold mine nearby, lots of things that were important to the Roman government. And so the, the Roman government made it a colony, which was a very valued thing for Roman cities. It basically meant that if you were born there, this is where we connect to our passage, then you were born a citizen of Rome, which was a big deal. You didn't have to pay taxes. You couldn't be punished in the same ways. You had the right to a trial before you were punished. You could, you could celebrate different Roman holidays. It was a big deal to be a Roman citizen. In fact, just a few years after the book of Philippians was written, it would cost 500 denarius, which is a good chunk of money in order to become 500, sorry, not a Daenerys, a, a drachma, I think that's how you say it, uh, to become a citizen uh, of, of Rome. Uh, there's this incredible story in, in the book of Acts where Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, is, is being punished for preaching about Jesus and he declares that he's a Roman citizen and, and this guy who's you know a soldier in charge of punishing him is like, how'd you become a citizen? And Paul proudly declares I was born a citizen and the guy's jealous of him and says like I had to pay for mine I mean it was a big important deal to be a citizen and so this this group in Philippi these Philippian people they were proud citizens of Rome because they knew the benefits of being a citizen but they also knew that being a citizen provided them with responsibility to serve the empire, to serve the emperor, to be Roman. And so they were constantly awaiting news from Rome on how they ought to conduct their affairs. They lived in a culture that was Greek and was far from Rome, but yet at the same time, they enjoyed the privileges and had the responsibilities of being Roman. And so they understand this incredible metaphor 
that Paul gives them when he says, look, there's people who are against you all around you, but your citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. You have the benefits of your heavenly citizenship. You can look forward to an eternity there. You know that God is on your side. He will be with you. He is protecting you. He is providing for you. He is providing you wisdom and helping you along life's ways. You know that God loves you and he cares about you. You get all these benefits. But at the same time, you need to live as a heavenly being and not live in light of the culture around you. That's profound for them and hopefully it's profound for us. We live in a culture that is not our culture and that's what's at the heart of this. Philippi, in fact, was, was like this cultural hub. There was natives in the land, there was all these Greek people and then there was these new Roman uh, people who had shown up on the scene. In fact, the, uh, one of the main reasons the city was colonized was to be a, a place where ex-Roman soldiers, retired Roman soldiers could go to live. So you can imagine how there's like this weird tension, right? In this city, they're all proud Roman citizens because of the benefits. But at the same time, you have guys who have been willing to give their lives for the Roman army, for the Roman government. And you have the Greeks who were taken over by the Romans. And you have people who have lived there forever that are like, hey, like you took me over, Greek people. Why are you mad about the Romans? And Paul supersedes all that and says, look, I know your culture's weird. I know it's against your values, but you need to remember your citizenship is in heaven. Making Philippi an even stranger city, it sounds like a wild place. It, it, is the, it was this uh, super religious place place um there was some 40 varieties of cults in this city and the surrounding areas uh, there were religions that practiced animal worship and human sacrifice and other deviant things that will not be mentioned in this sermon and then the most popular one of the most popular religions was emperor worship which was a part of the roman culture and you're trying to live as a christian what do I do with this, right? What do I do with this? I've been listening to this podcast uh, about this cold case murder. And uh, I think I've mentioned this podcast before called Up and Vanished. And I listened to season one and they just launched season two, which is an entirely different case altogether. Um, but so far, he's just set up the town in which this happened in. It's this town called Crestone, Colorado. And it's a city in Colorado, very small. In fact, you like, from the way they described it, you leave Denver, you go in the middle of nowhere, and literally, this is like the road stops, and then you're in Crestone. And so you're at like the end of the map. There's no more after you. Surrounded by mountains, there's only... Uh, few hundred people that live there but uh for whatever reason uh, say satan most likely it's seen as this very spiritual place 
And so three times in this town of 600 already in interviews that they've conducted, there's people who say they're clairvoyant. Like, uh, I mean, it, it, there's psychics and they have, they've, they've had over uh, like 600 UFO sightings at this observatory that they have out there. And uh, there's this giant, I don't even know what, but you know, religious type, building out there that has like a gold top in the middle of nowhere with 600 people. And pretty much it sounds like from everything I've learned so far, this is where people go who want to explore semi-dark spiritual things. And I was thinking about like, you know, like just being a Christian there. How, how like, I mean, people literally are going there to get away from you know, people that act like us who call themselves normal. Can you imagine me showing up and trying to plant a church? Can you imagine how that would be received? The first Sunday I preach against, you know, non-Christian spiritual practices or whatever. In fact, they've said over and over, this is the place you come where nobody's going to judge you. Oh man, I can just not fathom showing up and saying, I'm here to tell you that I believe you're going to hell if you don't accept Jesus as your savior. And this is in fact the culture, this is the culture that the Philippian people were living in. Surrounded by people who think that they are wrong and they are bad for believing what they do. And at the heart of everything Paul says is I want you to understand that you are not citizens of Rome or Philippi or Greece, or anywhere else, if you're a Christian, you are a citizen of heaven with all of the joys and the benefits that come with that, but all of the responsibilities too. And the first thing I think that we need to have in our heads, if we are going to navigate the culture that we have been surrounded by, whether we like it or not, is we must, we must really and truly believe that our Citizenship is not a citizenship of America, it's a citizenship of heaven. Meaning that we, we, we desire most the benefits of heaven, we long for the place of heaven, we love heaven, and we want to fulfill our responsibilities to the king of our land primarily. I think that one of the reasons we struggle with navigating the culture in which we live is that we primarily see ourselves as citizens of America. I think that's the reason that, that we either just fully embrace culture and say, well, if everybody around me is doing it, then I'm gonna do it too because we've forgotten about our true homeland. But also, we have other people who are mad all the time because America is deteriorating and this is their homeland in their heads. And God's saying, your citizenship is not here. It's with me, it's in heaven. If we're going to navigate this culture well, if we're going to, to live in a way that is good in the midst of a culture that seems less and less inclined to respect and, and embrace Christianity, then we must be a people who remember our citizenship is in heaven not just here. We have these statements, uh, these kind of famous Christian statements that uh, that, that get passed down from generation to generation, if you're like my family, that we say, but we don't really think about, like, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through, from a song. 
or this one, which is not in the Bible. I honestly believed this was in the, I hate to admit, I really thought this was a verse. And when I looked for this sermon, sure enough, not a verse. We are in the world, but not of the world. Some of you right now are like, that's not in the Bible. Like it's not about, but it's important for us to remember we're in the world, but not of the world. Really being a citizenship of another place, but living in a land that is not our own makes us a sojourner. And that's what we've titled this series, even though it's a really hard word for me to say. And I find that a lot of people mess it up. And so we debated it. Well, I discussed like, what should we call this series? We talked about exiles, we talked about foreigners, we talked about aliens, and all of them frankly have a very negative connotation in our world today, but also they don't describe what we are as Christians. Sojourner does the best job and it's been defined this way by the interpreter's dictionary of the Bible. Um, Oh, I'm sorry, that's not it. Where's my spot? Oh, here it is. Yes, interpreter's dictionary of the Bible. A person living in mutually responsible association with the community or in a place not inherently their own. It goes on to say, it is a person who occupies a position between that of the native born and the foreigner. A person who occupies a position between the native born and the foreigner. And that's what we are as Christians. We didn't show up in this land one day. It's not like we don't understand the culture, right? We've lived here our entire lives. We occupy this weird place between the the native born and the foreigner. A sojourner is a person who resides temporarily in a place and that is what we are. Philippians 1.27, Paul writes before Philippians 3.20, whatever happens, conduct conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's our call as people who are sojourning on this earth. We are called to bring honor and glory to God to live lives in a way that is honoring to the gospel that we subscribe to. But that's hard, right? And so there's this other piece of information and this is what I'm gonna finish with this morning. In in the next half of verse and and verse, Paul, I think, answers a question that that we're going to have. Like, what about all the things that that will cost me, right? I mean, if I truly live as a sojourner, if I truly think about my citizenship being in heaven and I live for the glory of my king who resides in heaven and I live in a way that is worthy of the gospel. Like what about, what about all that it's going to cost me? Because I might be a little weird and people might not like me and I might be rejected and it might cost me something. What about that? Here's what Paul says. We eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I mean, here's what Paul says. The king of our kingdom wins. He's going to return and it doesn't matter what this culture believes or thinks or who's in charge. It doesn't matter because ultimately our savior Jesus, the king of kings and Lord of lords will return. And when he does, he will take control of everything. That's exciting. That's a little scary, right? Because it's like, I wanna live for, I mean, my kingdom now. I wanna live as a sojourner now and, and respect my citizenship now because I would hate to have my king come back and see me rejecting his kingdom for this kingdom that we call America. 
But with that is going to come this transformation of our bodies, and I would say not just our bodies, but, but also everything that we see, everything in existence. And, and, and look, look, when we make our citizenship America, it's, it's just, it's not that good, right? I mean, even in the best days of American history, like people still died and people got sick and our bodies fail us. I listened to some country songs the other day and uh, I think that the enjoyment I've have of music, the, the uh, two types of music that can make me emotional would be country music and, and worship songs to God. They really well illustrate the the situation we live in because country music describes the heartache of living on earth, right? I mean, that's pretty much what it's about. Country music radio stations are actually the most uh, popular in Portland. I know that's kind of weird and I think it's because people connect with heartbreak. Like we always are living or, or most of the time living our lives with some form of sorrow. And, and, then, and then on the other side of that, I have this incredible citizenship in heaven and, and I'm excited about what Jesus has done. And so Paul looks, he says, look, someday Jesus will take over and when he does, he'll fix things. Uh, my grandma is fine, if you don't know this, she's doing well, but she had a stroke in the last couple weeks, which really sucks, not for the reasons you think it does. It sucks because since my grandma had a heart surgery, she's literally like not eaten a hamburger. She's eaten absolutely perfectly. It's been terrible to watch. Like it makes you feel guilty. You can't have a meal with her anymore because it's like she's eating, you know, grass and you're having Mexican food, right? And like, you're like, come on, just eat one for my sake, right? Like have a burrito, but she won't. And it is like she gets a stroke anyway. My, my uh, biological grandfather, uh, he got diabetes, which led to him actually having strokes that, that ended up killing him because he had a lot of them in a row and they went undiagnosed. And everybody always asks me when I say my grandpa had diabetes, they say, oh, was he overweight? Which is a little rude, but everybody always asks that question. It's like 100%, oh, was he overweight? And, and, and Funny enough, not at all. He was built very much like me, rode his bike everywhere, was extremely healthy. We know that it doesn't matter, right? How healthy we try to be, we're going to eventually have a problem and die. And so it's stupid for us to live for our citizenship in America or on earth because, because it's never gonna be that good. And, and God's saying here in this passage in, in Philippians, like, hey, live for your citizenship in heaven. Live as a sojourner because Jesus is going to return and when he does, he's gonna give you a new body and everything's going to be great. So here's the answer to the question, like, well, what if it costs me something? Who cares? Because it gains you so much more. That's what Paul's saying to us. A promise, uh, the promise of a transformed body is a great reason to live in a manner worthy of our heavenly citizenship. So this morning, this, this, this is it, right? Like we're gonna continue this series and we'll get more detailed. But when you leave today, this is how I want you to be transformed. And we prayed this morning that, that this would have an eternal purpose in your life, that what we do here would matter for all of eternity. And I think that that can happen, that God will respond yes to that prayer. If you'll leave here willing to live your life thinking, my citizenship is in heaven. I'm just sojourning on this earth. 
Because when we begin to live like that, it changes how we live our lives. I'll finish with that song that, uh, that I mentioned earlier, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. And I only knew that line, but it's an old hymn. And, and here's how it continues on. This world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Let me pray that'll be true at you. God, I, I just, uh, you know, this, this time in which we live, it's hard for me, it's hard for us. Lord, you, you know, you see, Lord, uh, more and more people rejecting you in our country. You see that the morality of our nation less and less aligns with the morality that you've set forth in your word, God. Um, you see that Christians are being mocked more and more. And, and Lord, first, I just pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to navigate that, but also grace, God, for when we mess it up. It, it's something that's new to us. We live in a, in a time that is very different than, for me anyway, being born in the 80s, God, it's, it's very different than what I was born into in this country. Um, and I pray that you would help us, God, know how to navigate it, but I pray you'd give us grace when we mess it up. I pray you'd give me grace when we mess it up. Lord, for, for those who are not Christians, I pray that, that they would not reject you because of us and how we get this issue wrong. And I pray, God, that even as they listen to this sermon this morning, that, that you'd soften their hearts to you and you'd help them to realize that, that despite you know, how much you, they may have rejected you, God, you still love them, you care about them, and you want a relationship with them. And, and I pray they'd be receptive to, to considering that, God. And then I pray for, for us who are Christians, God, whether we've been Christians a long time or it's new to us, Lord, I really do pray that we would, that we would learn or return to a place in our spiritual lives where we don't look at, at earth as the most important, but we, we remember our citizenship is with you where you are in, in this place called heaven, God, that we do look forward to. But sometimes, God, I, pr I think we look forward to it um, without considering what that means for our lives now. And I pray you'd, you'd challenge us in that thinking and you'd help each of us to leave here this morning at least a little more, God, remembering that, that we are citizens of heaven and considering, God, a little bit more all that that means for our lives. I pray these things in